have a special uh, guest speaker today, and I'm, I'm convinced that every one of us need people in our lives who will speak from a place of experience. And I, I believe uh, pastors are no different. I, I, I need pastors and leaders and father figures, uh, my dad, others who are great dads, to speak into my life to help me figure out where I'm going and what God is doing in my life. I think every one of us need that. And I have a special relationship with a man named Tom Lane. Tom and Jan, they are uh, a really good friends of Amy and I. And, and they've been married for 41 years. That's about twice as much as uh, Amy and I have been married. So they've traveled a road that we're about to travel. And so we rely on them to speak into our lives. And, um, and, and so he's an overseer in our church. I believe... Uh, in, in spiritual authority, and I believe in submitting our lives to people who can speak into it with permission, uh, speak the truth in love into our hearts and see what's going on. And, and this man does that in our lives. And he, he's a pastor. He's from Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. Gateway's a large church where God's done incredible miracles. It's, uh, he is the lead executive senior pastor there which is essentially um, you know, the COO of that place. It's, there's 30,000 people that go to that church on five campuses. And uh, ministries uh, that are so amazing, what God has done, the miracles that God is doing in people and drawing people to that place is incredible. And he's been part of that for 10 years. And so I'm so grateful for him. I'm grateful for his influence. And I want you to be influenced by him because he's such a good friend, and I want him to continue to be a great friend of our church for a long time. So some of you have heard from him, but some of you are just brand new to him, but I want everybody to give a huge, warm welcome. Open up your hearts to Pastor Tom Lane. Come on. Well, good morning, or I guess afternoon. How, how are you today? I, I am really glad to be with you. You know, it's hard to think through, uh, I guess the last time I was here, because I was here with you when you were still in Monterey Oaks, and uh, you've been here a year. <laughs> and I, I'm thankful for my involvement here, and I'm thankful that uh, the kingdom of God is about relationships. It begins with a relationship with him, but it extends to our relationships with each other, and so uh, I'm thankful for the day that he brought you and Amy into our life, and uh, for our opportunity to uh, be involved with you guys and the work that God's doing here. I'm thankful for this time to be able to be with you, and especially on such a great Sunday, a special Sunday, Connect Sunday. You know, um, you, I got saved when I was 16, and uh, apart from the, the reality that I'm in vocational ministry, uh, we believe in small groups to the point that it was one of our family values that the commitment of our life would be expressed in an involvement with people and God's church. And so practically the way that I worked that out is I said, we're going to go to a worship service and we're going to be involved in a small group. And I, I modeled that for my kids and, and then I insisted that they follow that pattern. And it's important, and you'll see why uh, as we talk the message today. I want to talk to you about the title of this message is Building a Culture of Community. I want to talk to you about 
what that is uh, in us. And just as a platform for that, let me define what culture is. Culture is the beliefs, customs, and practices that create the acceptable behavioral patterns expressed in a particular society, group, or place. That's according to the dictionary. It's, a, it's beliefs, customs, and practices. Another, another way to say it is it's a way of thinking or behaving or working that exists in a place or an organization. So your, your business has a culture. Your family has a culture. This church has a culture, whether it's intentional or not. It's an expression of the way that we think, behave, and work. And then uh, this is the way I've worded it. This is my definition of culture. It's a pattern of behavior that is so consistently expressed that we become characterized by it. So you, you, if, if you have a culture, if you have a culture of giving in your life, then it, it, you're characterized as a giving person. If you have a a culture in your life of friendliness, then you're, you're characterized as being everybody's friend. And there's, there's a pattern of behavior that we become known by. And I'm suggesting to us that the pattern, the, the culture of the church, this church, of the church I'm involved in, should be a culture of community. So if you turn your Bible, if you brought your Bible or your smartphone or however you access the Word of God these days, iPad, Android, anyway, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, put a mark there or hold your finger there, and uh, and then go to Acts chapter 42. We're going to get there in a second, but I want to start in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, you may be familiar with this. You may have, have read it a numerous times regarding the definition of love, but it begins with this thought. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become sounding brass and clanging cymbal. And although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, it goes on to define what love is in the chapter, but it's interesting to me the way that it starts. It starts by orienting us in a perspective that says, if, if you are connected with God in such a way that the, the gifts of God are flowing through your life, you're, you're, you're connected with the Holy Spirit in such a way that the power of God is flowing through you and you don't have love, it matters nothing. If, if you're one of those people that is so passionate about the mission of God to impact the community outside the four walls of the church and you give everything that you have away to feed the poor and yet you don't have love. You have nothing. And I submit to us today that, the, that love is more than a term of endearment or greeting. You know, if you end your phone call, uh, love you, see you later. You, in, you say goodbye to a friend or a loved one, love you, see you later. If we're going to really express love in the way that Paul was talking about in this, it can't be done in a way that, that doesn't reflect 
a relational inter involvement or interaction, a community of believers. Well, with that thought, flip over now to Acts uh, chapter 2, and let's check in with what's happening in the church as it begins. The disciples, Jesus has been resurrected. He's now at the right hand of the Father. The disciples are left now to carry on in his absence. And uh, we, we see one of the first kind of encounters there, Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Peter was preaching, and with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They were in community. The believers were in community, and they had all things in common. Now, what we know today, just practically, is this. In Austin, Texas, as well as in Dallas-Fort Worth, there are more people who are not in church than are in church. When you got up or when you dressed and got in your car to come here today, you passed down your neighborhood, you passed row after row of homes, cars in the driveway, people stirring or involved in some activity, and it wasn't church. What would happen if, it, as it was in the early days of the church, if God just simply miraculously, sovereignly did a work and 3,000 people were dropped into one chapel today or next week? Would we be excited? Some of us would. But, but in <laughs> Ross would. But there would, be, there would be some difficulties a part of that. Some of us would go... <laughs> Can you believe all the people that are here? I've had to circle the parking lot five times, and I still can't find a parking space. And, and get out of my way. I mean, I feel squished in here. I, I remember the day when you could get in here easy, when you knew everybody. Who's that person? I, I, think, I think they dealt with some of that kind of stuff. You see, when we're small... When, when we're just a, a cozy group, so to speak, we know everybody and everybody knows us. We know everybody's needs and we can validate them easily and we, we can support whoever's in trouble and are needed because we know threats are easily identified, people's gifts are validated, and change is controlled and structured. But if you have the kind of growth that I think is dynamic growth, you have, let's don't even say it's dynamic. You have reasonable growth. You have the growth, the kind that one chapel has had. You, you all of a sudden start experiencing things like you, you could no longer know everybody. Creates a need for strategic and timely communication of information because the old way of just, you know, passing it along and everybody understands, somebody, you tell one person four times and the the other three people you forgot to tell. And they say, why didn't you tell me? I thought I did. 
it, you have to become more strategic as a part of the process. Needs must be organized and, and thoughtfully expressed. Discernment, awareness, compassion become necessary tools of relating to each other in the expanding uh, sense of community. It, it, let, me, let me just say, in the size that you are today, this is true. And so some people view that and they say, well, we, I, I just don't want a big church. I don't want to grow big. I don't, I don't like it. I like the smaller. I like what we used to feel. I don't like that. Well, if we're going to reach people, the people that are not in church today that need Christ, we have to lay a foundation for community. So let me set you at ease with something. I'm not suggesting that we need to become more institutional and uncaring and religious in our expression. I think that we need to become more relational because that's the way God is. And so how do we do that? We do it by building whatever structures are in place on a foundation that is relational in its base. And that happens in the context of community. So uh, how do we build a culture of community? I'm going to give you three things and just come along with me really quick, if you will. Here's the first one. We must overcome an emphasis on self. We live today in the most selfish environment, I think, of at least the last four or five generations. It's all about us. It's all about how things impact us and what it, what it does about us. But listen to what, uh, what the, the, Paul wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 2 and verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a, a thing that was grasped. In other words, let's just say you've, you've got it. You've got a relationship with God. You've got relationships with people. The, the church is good. And he's saying Jesus, who, who was in heaven and had everything good, he didn't grasp that and hold on to it and say, I, I'm, I'm good. He took the uncomfortability of becoming a man in, in the flesh, living, dying, suffering, so that we could be included in the family of God. It's important that we don't think about ourselves. What does it mean to live in community? What does it mean when we say we're doing life together? What things should be present if we're really doing life together? Here, here's, here's a couple of things. Uh, an investment of time. You can't just say we're doing life and not invest time uh, together. Good intentions don't nurture relationships. If, if we were going to have a, a friendship, have you ever done this with a friend? You, you meet them, maybe you meet them at church or in the, the lobby and you go, hey, 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 how you doing? I haven't seen you in a long time. Let's get together. And you go, yeah, let's get together. And then the next time you see him, it's like, hey, we need to get together. Yeah, let's get together. Well, you can't be friends without an investment of time. And that takes a commitment. Investment demonstrated by a schedule of priorities. You know, if you're going to be a friend and you say you're a friend and you're not willing to give priority in your schedule to nurture the friendship, you might have an acquaintance, but you don't have a friendship. It's an investment of time. Uh, uh, here's another thing. It's a relational commitment. 
You bear each other's burdens. You're aware of each other's needs. You, you build the relationship and you, you come and you maintain a clean, healthy relationship. If you say something harsh, you apologize. If you have an offense, you address the offense because the relationship means something. You nurture and strengthen the relationship. And you have a respect for personal boundaries. When, when this service is over and you're encouraged to go down and find a connect group, if you're not in one already, uh, can I just assure you, they're going to respect boundaries. They're not going to consume all of your time. They're not going to demand that you be exclusively in the relationships in that group and none other. They're opening a platform of relationship designed to build community to express care and make a commitment of time. It's really important. Here's the second, uh, second thing. We must manage the distractions of our life if we're going to build a community together. The quality of our relationships is in direct proportion to our willingness to manage the distractions that seek to order our life. Psalm 55.1, give ear to my prayer, David said, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy. Our lives are filled with all kinds of distractions. And on top of that, the enemy seeks to add to those distractions to keep us from engaging where God wants us uh, to engage. It's, it's something that I call the law of priority. The law of priority goes like this. A lower priority will always attempt to gain a higher place in the order of our priorities. So, if I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper and say, let's, let's just talk about priorities today. What, what's your number one priority? What, what should be your number one priority? Well, if you've been in church for very long, if you know anything about the Bible, God wants to be first in our life. So you say, well, God's my number one priority. Well, get out your calendar. Let, let's, if God is the number one, then let's see how it orders in the real priorities of your life. How, how much time? do you spend with him? What, how's it reflected in the commitments of your life? Well, you say, well, my second priority is my family, my marriage. Get out your calendar. You see, what happens, lower priorities crowd their way in and they say, ooh, 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 ooh. This is, I, listen, I know that priority is good. I know you need to spend time with God. And I, I know you need a date night and, and you really need to prioritize the relationship with your spouse, but, but this is really important. And here's what happens. When we give place to that lower priority thing, the, the thing of higher priority doesn't slip one or two notches. It goes to the bottom. Have you ever noticed somebody that... that uh, began, the, the, the distractions of life began to crowd into the, the issues. They, they loved God. They were burning hot, passionate for God. And all of a sudden, uh, no, they, they couldn't make it to church that weekend. They had such and such going on. Uh, well, are you going to come to be a part of our group? Uh, they were active before, active in church, volunteering in different things. They were serving God. They were, they were and uh, no, I, I, I got I to gotta go to the office. I got to... Uh, I've got, we, we bought a, 
a little getaway place and I got to go up and take care of that. And pretty soon, a year later, they're nowhere to be found. Why? Because the law of priorities says if you allow a lower priority to overtake a greater priority, that greater priority doesn't drop a step or two. It goes to the bottom. So if we're going to keep God first in our life, we need a relational connection that, is, that helps us to manage the distractions of our life. Now, if we, if we understand the law of priority and we're working to manage those distractions, then we need to be aware of what those distractions are. Let me just suggest a few. It's technology. How, how many of you... Here's, here's an interesting thing I like to do. When my wife and I are at a restaurant, I like to watch a couple or couples in the restaurant to see what they're doing with technology. It, it is, I, I bet 90% of the time, each one has their, their iPhone or Android or, you know, their smart device, and they're not talking. They're they're seated, waiting for their food, but they, might as, might, they might, have well, might as well go into separate restaurants and eat by themselves. And, and fortunately, my wife is very sensitive to this. So if I happen to, you know, uh, check a text or check an email when I'm with her, I mean, I, she'll, she'll kick my shin under the table. <laughs> she helps me manage the distraction in our relationship. It's technology. Here's another one, work distractions. Now, I know uh, if you have a job and there's responsibilities to fulfill in the job, but how many of us know that there's a big, a big amount, big proportion of the things that distract us from work? Uh, it could wait until tomorrow. It's not going to affect your performance rating on the job. It, it, we just get distracted into the process we need to manage our work distractions what about people distractions and and sometimes when we're talking about this uh, we talk about being ADD and we 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 say we justify our distractions by saying well I'm just ADD I can't help it huh no no you we need to manage our, our distractions. Uh, what about hobbies and interests and how they distract us? We need to manage our distractions. This is what Jesus said about this. If you can pick up the inference, Luke chapter 9, verse 59. He was talking to a, a, an individual and he said, hey, come follow me. And the guy responded and said, Lord, uh, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Who does that is fit for the kingdom of God. What an amazing statement of managing of distractions. It's like if you know the full, if you have the full understanding of Jesus' thinking, he wasn't saying, uh, don't, you shouldn't bury your, your dead relatives, shouldn't give them uh, attention. 
that you shouldn't go and, and take care of things that relate to your home. What he was saying is, make first things first. Order the priorities of your life and guard them because, according to the law of priority, if you let a lower priority take over a higher priority, that higher priority will drop to the bottom. We have to manage our distractions. Here's the third thing. We need to raise our relational intelligence. Now, you might say, what, what are you talking about relational intelligence? Let me, let me give you a definition of relational intelligence. It is the learned and instinctual, instinctual ability a person has to connect with others in healthy relationships. It's the collective understanding of a group of the importance of relational connection and the ease with which it makes relational connection possible. So there's a uh, relational intelligence that's individual. Every one of us in this room have some level of relational intelligence, and there's a relational intelligence that applies to the organization or the corporate uh, feeling of one, one chapel. Well, uh, let me give you an example from, from my family. My youngest daughter uh, married a guy we just love to death. He's, he's a great young man. He heads up our, uh, he's the executive director of our video editing at, at the church. And so he was attending the church when they met and uh, his family went to the church. Well, he, he grew up, he had a sister. So there's only two of the kids in the family and uh, their, their family, um, they didn't, they're busy and they didn't interact. Our family when we get together, there's four kids plus Jan and I, and we're involved in everything. I mean, we're, we're engaged, talking, asking questions. And so her, her boyfriend at the time, now husband, came into our family, and he was on overload. He didn't know what to do with this, so we would, we'd be around talking, and we'd look around, where's Brett? He would be in the other room on his phone. And he didn't know how to connect. He didn't know how to be with us. And it was overload on, on him to be around us for very long. So we had to ease him in and teach him about relational intelligence. Brett, here's how you connect with us. And here's how we want to connect with you. It's, a, it's relational intelligence. We need relational intelligence. If you said today, I just don't know how to make friends. I, I mean, I don't know how to do relationships. You, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I need some relational intelligence. This is what David said, Psalm 68, verse 6, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. God is interested in the investment we make in relationships. And if we'll do that, he'll lead us into the relationships. And if we don't, there's a certain issue of rebelliousness in our life that's going to leave us in a parched place. Psalm 92 and verse 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He's my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. Relational intelligence does two things. 
it legitimizes and values the important role of relationships or that relationships play in our life development. Here's a little test for you. Without looking at your, your phone or your, your uh, podcast list, name, name as many sermons as you can think of and, and kind of just in your mind, outline them for, for me. If you're like me, I've been, I've been a Christian. I, I, I uh, received Christ and committed my life to him when I was 16. And I'm 61. So you do the math. It's a long time. And uh, I, I can remember maybe five messages. I've heard hundreds of messages. And I hope you remember this at least until you get your car. But what, I, what I'm saying, I'm not trying to minimize the significance of preaching. What, I'm, what I am trying to say is comparatively, I can think of life events and how they impacted my life. And I can tell you the people that were with me and how, what they did, what it meant to my life, how, how they impacted my life. And some of them are clear across the country today. It's, it's the... What relational intelligence does is it places the value and identifies the value of the interaction of people in our life. You cannot grow to the full measure of what God wants for you in a vacuum. You need God and you need people to help you in your relationship with God. Here's the second thing it does. It allows us to acknowledge and respect levels of relationships without being offended. You know, um, some people are, who are desperate for relationships, they push in past boundaries, and it makes you go, ooh, you know, back up. You're violating my space. We need to be able to respect boundaries. And, but in doing that, when we, when we meet someone that kind of has the do not disturb sign out, we need, a, we need a way to connect. I, I thought about this with our church because our, our church, in, you know, I hear from time to time people saying, this is just such a big church. And you know what, what I re- respond to with that? I said, we don't like to think of ourselves as a big church. We're a small community. I, for 27 years, I was in Amarillo, uh, up in the Panhandle. And uh, south of Amarillo, on your way to Lubbock, there's a town called Happy Texas. Everybody been to Happy Texas? They have a slogan in the town. There's a sign outside the town that says, a town without a frown, happy Texas. (laughs) Now, that town has a culture. They they want to be known for something. Well, uh, what what I know about being in big, when I lived in Amarillo and we'd come to visit the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I thought, "I, I never want to live there. It's too big. It, the traffic is terrible, you know, it, I had all kinds of reasons. And what I forgot is that when you live in a big community, you actually associate in a smaller community and you, you do life in that smaller community and then you venture out taking advantage of all that is available to you in the bigger community. That's exactly what we're talking about here. When, if we're going to lay a foundation and build a culture of community, then what we're going to do is we're going to build smaller communities within the larger community 
of the body of believers. And within that smaller community, we're going to do life together. We're going to know each other. We're going we're to share. And, uh, and the relational connection that is so vital will happen there. And we'll reach out from there and impact the greater community of believers that are a part of one chapel. It's, it's important. Well, I was thinking about this at Gateway. And I was thinking, how do we make this work? Because if I tell our staff, or if the expectation is when someone meets, when one of our staff or an, a, a person in our congregation meets another person, they're automatically required to draw them into the deepest levels of relationship in their, in their life. So I, I said, well, the deepest level of relationship that any of us have is a family relationship. I mean, you, you know your family members, you know their birthdays, you celebrate Christmas together. If there's an important event, you're at their, their school play and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think the most you can do is about 50 family members and, and do life together with 50. Then add on top of that, friends. Friends, you, know, you, you kind of know their birthday and you might give them a call or, or send them a Facebook like on their birthday or... <laughs> You know, you do something to interact with, with them in some way. And I think maybe you could add another couple of hundred people to that. Well, all right, so now we're at 250, and, and one life is 1,200. One chapel is 1,200. What do you do? How do you, how do you build a culture of community? Well, I can tell you this. The, the, the facade of community, the facade of friendliness in this place is amazing. When, when I got out of my car, I, on my way to the building, I was greeted three times by, by people saying, hey, how you doing? You know, Welcome, glad you're here today. Good to, good to see you. When I came in the door, I didn't take three steps in the door, and somebody uh, accosted me, <laughs> wanting to know what my name was and if it was my first time here. And, and then... When I gave them my name, they take the sticker off and I, I mean it it's a friendly place. But the distance between the facade of friendliness and family and friends can be an overwhelming barrier. I was greeting one time uh, at, at the church just before the services started. I like to do that, greet people. And, you know, like you, uh, our church is, is big enough in any service that there, there's people that have been there a long time, and I don't know them. I can't put a name and a face together. So rather than, you know, embarrass myself, I, I introduce the conversation kind of like, so um, I'm Tom, how are you? And they tell me their name. And I said, well, how long have you been at Gateway? And sometimes they'll say, well, this is my third week here. Or sometimes they'll say, I've been here for six years. And I'm like, Whoa, sorry. Are you connected? You know, are you involved? Well, I was doing that one day, and I greeted a guy. And I said, you know, uh, how, long, how long have you been at Gateway? He said, nine years. It, we were 10 years old at the time. Nine years. And I went, wow. I said, are you involved? And he said, nope. And I said, why? What? He said, oh, I've tried. I've tried, but I can't break through. And I said, well, first of all, thank you for not quitting, for, not, for continuing to come in an environment where you've tried to get connected and you can't. And I said, and secondly, you're now my new project. 
what can I do to get you connected? And he said, well, I've tried to do this. I, here's what I do, and here's where my interests are. And I immediately began to connect him. And so uh, the, the facade of friendliness had long worn off for him. And, and the family issue and the, the friend issue, he, he, he was having trouble breaking into. So all I did was facilitate some things in his life. And I think you can facilitate hundreds, maybe, maybe a couple of thousand people. And you, you bridge the gap from that facade to a place of friendliness. So here, here's the situation. Do we want a culture of community? It, it, is, a, it is a decision that, that as a body we have to make. And we say, yes. We want that. Then there's a, a question that comes individually. Do you want a culture of community in your life? Do you want to be in, engaged with people in a real relational interaction that's designed to, to meet each other's needs and, and care for one another and, and challenge one another? If you say yes, you've made it on the perfect day. Because this is the day you get to connect with community groups in, after the service. If you're not involved, if you'll take just a few minutes, you'll find friendly people that will help you connect. And I just want to say this. Uh, I've found that being involved in a small group is like trying on shoes. You've ever gone to the shoe store and you, you see some, you know somebody that is really picky because there's about 14 pairs of shoes laid out in front of them while they're trying on shoes. I mean, you need to find the one that fits, that, that feels good, that looks right. That's why they've gathered all the groups down there so that you can, in, in kind of a speed dating fashion, <laughs> you can check them all out. And say, I think I like that, that one there. Okay, we'll get information about that. It'll take you just a few minutes, and you can make a legitimate step toward building community. That be good? All right, let me pray for you, and then Pastor Ross is going to tell you what needs to be done. So, Lord, we, just, we thank you that uh, you are so relational. That, Lord, you... You sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be in relationship with you. That, that your, the, the gospel of your kingdom is not a religious concept. It's a relational interaction. And Lord, I pray that as we work to build community in this place, that Lord, you would be pleased to dwell among us. And that one of the things, no matter how large one chapel becomes, one of the things that we'll be known for is the genuine interaction of love and care that's expressed in this place. Thank you, Lord, for your work, and I pray your blessing on the activities of this day. In Jesus' name.